Uh, we are in this series called Famous Last Words, and we are going through the book of 2 Timothy, verse by verse, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 3, and we haven't finished up all of chapter 2, but we're going to start off in chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll catch back up. But today's message, the title of today's message is Walking Wise Around Opinionated People. Now, we don't have any opinionated people here today, do we? I mean, no. That was all last night, and it's all second service people today, right? So uh, this is just something you can take notes for them, okay, and for your friends and all that, right? Um, but but I wanna, I'm going to read this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and there's, I could spend probably weeks on what's in this content that I'm about to read, uh, but we have several things to do today, and so I, I'm just going to sum it up in, in what I think is... Probably a good summary here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. We're kind of seeing some difficult times from time to time, right? So, so we might be getting close, right? We might be there. It says, For people will love only themselves and their money. Are we there yet? <laughs> Have you seen any of that? Have you experienced some of that? So they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Just go online, and that's all you have to do to see what's happening here, right? This is, just, this is just what is kind of happening so many times in our culture and society right now. And it says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Have you ever seen anybody, you know, act religious or use God in the name of whatever cause, right? So we, we have that going on as well. They act religious, reject the power that could make them godly. He says, stay away from people like that. They're the kind, and then he uses this weird example. Like he's like, they're the kind of people who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they never are able to understand the truth. What what he's saying here is that there are some people who they're not, they're never grasping onto truth. They're always looking for the next thing. And because of that, they're always looking for the next thing. They're never going to find the real truth. If you're always looking in the, you know, for the next article, the next podcast, the next magazine, the next whatever, the next cultural, the next fad to try to solve their problem or try to, and try to act like that's truth, you're never going to find truth. And those type of people are susceptible to constantly falling into being deceived and being manipulated and, and, uh, and all sorts of other things. Says these teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. Now, in Jewish non-biblical writings, these uh, people, commentators, say that these were Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses. And so we don't know a whole lot about them, but Timothy probably knew something about them from these writings or from oral tradition. And it says they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. It says, but they won't get away with this for long because someday everyone will recognize what fools they are. He's not messing around, is he? <laughs> like, these guys are just fools, just as it was with Janus and Jambres. Now, there's a lot in there, and I can say a lot about this, but how, as I was reading that this week, 
what, some, what kind of summed it all up for me is that there are a lot of people today who are living their life, building their life based on whatever they want to do, based on whatever they feel like is truth, based on whatever opinion they want to have, and then they call that truth, right? That there's a lot of people that are living by their opinions. There's a lot of opinionated people who are just doing what they want to do. The world is filled with opinions. How many of you guys know that's true, right? The world is filled with opinions. There was a study that was done, I heard about years ago, and it was a very simple study. I don't even know why they did it, but it's, it still you know, illustrates something um, that I think we're dealing with. And they, this university took 10 people, and they did this a series of times. They took 10 people into a room, and they, they were instructed in very simple instructions they, they drew three lines of various lengths, like on a chalkboard or whiteboard or something. And they said, whenever we point to the longest line, raise your hand. How do you guys know? This is not hard, right? This is not hard stuff. And so they took 10 people, put them in the room. Problem was, only one of them didn't know that all of the rest of them were in on it. So they told nine of the people to raise their hand, not at the longest line, but at the second longest line, just to see what the first person would do. And so they get in there, and they, they're, you know, pointing, uh, you, know, here, you know, pointing to the lines. And when it came to the longest line that they were supposed to raise their hand at, the one guy raises his hand. It's the longest line. But then he noticed that no one else is raising his hand, and so he quickly, he's confused. He puts his hand back down. He knows it's the longest line, but he puts his hand back down. What was going on? He would rather be wrong than to stand alone for what was right. They did this test over and over again in elementary schools and high schools, and they found out that this happened 75% of the time. He, he, he knew what was right. He knew he was right, but because as everyone else was saying it was something else, he didn't want to push against it. How I mean, you guys know there's pressure these days and today? There's pressure that whenever someone creates their own truth, there's a pressure for us not to challenge that, Right? And so when we may be standing up for what we know is true and everyone else is standing, you know, standing up for, the, well, this is my truth, then what? There's a pressure for us not to push back on that. There's a pressure for us to put our hand back down. There's a pressure for us to be quiet because everyone is kind of creating their own truth today. Like, you know, whatever you do, you, you, you know, say what you want to say, whatever truth is for you is, is, must be okay. As if there's not absolute truths. You know, you play whatever song you want to play, and if that, you know, it, hey, let's just, whatever you want to do. And it, it reminds me of, of when I was in junior high. We had, uh, we had band, in, in, how many of you guys were ever in band in, like, junior high or high school? In, like, band? How many of you guys were in marching band? Anybody in marching band? I was, too, only it was ridiculous because we lived in a small town. There's, like, 13 people in the band. <laughs> so, like, seriously, like, we're marching down. We're in a marching band, but it's not much, not much glory going on there, Right? And so, uh, but I was in band, and, and we had band every, I don't know if it was like a couple times a week or every day, I don't even remember anymore, but there was this guy in my class that we just called Croc. That was his nickname. His nickname was Croc. And Croc was the biggest guy in our class. And Croc and I became very good friends. Why did Croc and I become very good friends? Because I was probably the smallest guy in our class, and I thought it'd be a good idea if I befriended the biggest guy in the class, right? And it just so happened that Croc played the tuba in the band, and I played the trombone. And so together, we made up the whole low brass section of the entire school. 
And so we sat there every single band practice, and we just decided one day that we were going to, no matter what the sheet music was, that we were going to play La Bamba. You know the song La Bamba, La La Bamba. We were going to play La Bamba to whatever was put in front of us. And so every single day, we would get the music. Everyone's there, this poor music teacher. I even liked her a lot, you know, but, but it was, so every time we would start playing and Croc and I, would be, we'd be playing La Bamba to the whole thing. And she's like confused and we're just playing it straight the whole way, you know, and she comes back and she's like, can you guys play this for me? I just want to hear. And then we would play the correct version. <laughs> and then she would go back up and we'd play La Bamba again every single time. It was great fun. But that's what I think that a lot of people are doing. They're just playing whatever they want to play as if it's okay. Like whatever, you play whatever music you want to play, and that's going to work just fine. And, and so I, I think, and I heard this this week, that it used to be that people would set out to discover meaning in life and in this world. But today it seems like people think that it's their priority or their, it's the, their job to construct meaning out of life and in this world. So let me say it a different way. It used to be that people would go to discover truth. Now it seems like people think it's a responsibility to construct truth. And so we have everybody playing their own music. And no one can come up and say that's wrong. No one can come up and say that that's not the right music. And listen, that may work to some degree in the suburbs of America. That may work to some degree in the Northland here, you know, where everybody, hey, you do you, your truth is truth, whatever's fine for you. But how many of you guys know that doesn't work under the rule of the Taliban in Afghanistan? When everyone's playing their own music and everyone's truth is whatever, because we know that certain things are wrong and we know that certain things are right. How do we know those things? We don't, because, I mean, we, we don't know those things just because everyone's constructing their own truth. We know those things because there are absolute truths. And there are absolute truths that come from God, that come from our creator, that we know that they're inside of us for a reason. We don't have to wonder what's wrong, because if we play it out to the nth degree, we can discover what's wrong very quickly. Why? Because that's been placed in us by our creator. That's not somebody made that up. That's because we know it because it's, it's, it's an absolute, Right? Because Jesus, we, we can't just play our own truth, our own music, because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God except through me, right? So there is truth. So how do, in all of these opinions, how do we build, how do we walk wise in a world full of opinions? And this isn't even just in the world. How many of you guys know in the church, right? We got a lot of opinions in the church, right? So how can we walk wise in the church, and here in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, it says, Through skillful and godly wisdom, a house is a house, it's a life, a home, a family is built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. And by knowledge, its rooms are filled and filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Let me just say it this way I heard this a long time ago. A house is built on wisdom, not opinions. You can have all the opinions you want to have. And they're opinions, and that's, you can have all the opinions you want to have. But a house, if you want to build a house, a foundation that's going to stand when the storm comes, you better be building that house on wisdom. Where does that wisdom come from? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's where it comes from, right? It's not, it's not that hard. 
Okay, we go back to what Jesus said. We go back to the scriptures. A house is built on wisdom. So how can we build a life of wisdom in a world full of opinions? How can we walk wise around opinionated people? All right, let's skip all the way back into 2 Timothy chapter 2 and finish up the last three verses that we haven't got to yet. All right, And in this, we will find some wisdom for us to walk in. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. But have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations. Useless disputes over unedifying and stupid controversies. Paul's not playing around. I'm not. This, sometimes messages choose me. I don't choose them. They choose me. Okay. It says, since you know they will produce strife and give birth to quarrels. This scripture could have just said, stay off Facebook. <laughs> right? Let me read it again, just for fun. <laughs> but have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant speculations, useless disputes over unedifying, stupid controversies, since you know it's just going to produce a fight. Point number one. I've got five of them, okay? Point number one. Don't get caught up in stupid controversies. If you want to walk wise in a world full of opinions, there are some controversies that are just stupid and going to end up in a quarrel. And this is wisdom. This is wisdom. All right, so I'm going to break this up with a few videos just because I think we need to lighten it up from time to time. So um, there, there's sometimes we just get caught up, even in a marriage. Come on, we can even admit it. Even in marriage, how many of you guys know sometimes we can get caught up in some different controversies, right? So uh, let's, let's learn something from Joe McGee. Let's take a look. The mouth, I've learned the hard way with Denise, because buddy, we can just get verbally into it. We can flat get after it. Just, you know, like, and, and my problem is I'm a man, so I think slower. And so it, I could not think of something until about two minutes later, like, oh, I should have said that. <laughs> now, if we ever do that again, I'm saying that. I should have said that. I couldn't think fast enough. Because you know how this guy's, your wife just, it's like, Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, except that which is good and necessary for edification, that it might impart grace to the hearer. So you gotta watch what you say. Now, I remember I just come back from a men's retreat one time, and it was all about how you treat your wife better. I got home, and I said something to Denise in the kitchen. I'd been gone for three days. I'm looking forward to seeing my wife and playing the huggy and kissy face. And I just said something to be funny, and it wasn't, and I never should let out my, I've just been three days learning this, and I just sinned like a dog. I just said something to be funny, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that wasn't good. <laughs> and Denise very rarely has gotten mad at me. Maybe three times in our 42 years of marriage, she has unleashed verbal hell. And this was one of them. She turned around and... <laughs> and I knew I had it coming, but it made me mad. And for the first time in 17 years of marriage, I had a comeback. Like, I had a word. It's got to be from God. <laughs> I've never had a word before. God wants you to hear this. God needs you to hear this. I got a word from God. And I'm getting ready to say it, but I've just had three days to mention it. Like, don't say it. Soft answer. You know, soft answer. Like, no, no, I got a word. I got a word. I got a word. And I, Denise, she says this day, I just froze. My head was like, because I'm trying to decide whether to let it out or not. Like, don't let it out. No, let it out. No, don't let it out. No, let it out. A marriage license is not a permission slip to say anything to your spouse to hit your brain. They're still your brother and sister in the Lord. There's rules what you can and cannot say. 
And so all of a sudden, I just took a deep breath. And I, you're right. You are right. I am the north end of a southbound mule. Babe, I can't believe you shared that. I got a lot of friends in my life. Nobody's ever loved me enough to share that with me. God, you must love me. I appreciate you sharing that because I didn't know that about myself. Come here and hug me. Now, she did. She didn't hug me for three days, but it, it turned out really good. If you don't start talking truth to one another, you're never going to change. You are a gift from God from one another. So there's truth, and then there's stupid controversies, right? Now, I, I'm getting better at this, but let me tell you what I used to do a whole lot. Like when I was a teenager, early 20s, I'd do this all the time. I used to just, just talk to people. I'd say, just tell me, like, I pick, I pick an argument, and it didn't matter which side, but I'd just argue that side. How I many of you guys have been there before? Like, I'll flip to the other side, and I'll argue that side of it if you want. But I used to just do that all the time, just for sport, just for fun. How I many of you guys know that's a bad habit, right? But it was just engaging in stupid controversies. So knowing when to engage and when not to engage with other people is something called discernment. You have to be able to discern when to engage and when not to engage. Some of us have zero discernment. And some of us may have like 2%, okay? But knowing when and when not to is called discernment. Now listen, I'm preaching this message because I've struggled with this, so I'm not, I'm not saying I've got this figured out. I've struggled, I, I need this message, okay? We all need this message to some degree, okay? Don't get caught up in stupid controversies. So I'm gonna give you five questions you should ask yourself before you should engage. Five questions, okay? I'm gonna try to rapid fire them, try to give you them slow enough that you can write them down, but try to move quickly as well. Should I engage on this issue? Number one, will this matter in a couple of years? Sometimes we are burning bridges, breaking relationships, tearing up stuff over something that two years from now is not even going to matter. We are burning relationships, we are causing harm, we're placing, you know, uh, making stumbling blocks in front of people over something that two years from now, no one's even going to even remember, and if they do, we find out it wasn't an eternal issue anyway, right? All right, number two, question you might want to ask, if I engage, is the fruit of my engagement just going to end in a fight? Like, how many of you guys know there are some times that you can start engaging with people, and you know we're not changing each other's mind, we're just going to argue, this is really about my ego, this is really about my audience, this is really about me just trying to prove that I'm right just so I can feel better about myself. Is the fruit of this just a fight? Number three, am I prioritizing an issue over a person? Especially in marriage. You want to think about you, your, your win is the person, it's not the issue. And so many times we can prioritize an issue. And listen, I just talked about how we need to stand for truth. We need to stand for What I'm talking about here is stupid controversies that you know are not going to produce fruit. You, we just have to realize there's some times when we need to prioritize people over an issue. Number four, am I representing the kingdom of God, here's the kicker, in a kingdom way? Well, here's what the kingdom of God is all about. Bless God, and this is what's right, and this is truth. I'm talking about are we representing the kingdom of God in a kingdom way? What does the way of God look like to represent the kingdom of God? And then number five, this is one of my favorites. I made all these up, guys, so this, you know, but this is my favorite. Can I have this conversation in a calm way 
Or does my blood, pre- blood pressure rise when I type or talk? <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. And I know every time I'm getting ready to type or getting ready to talk and I can feel my blood pressure going up, time to step back. It may mean that I need to engage in that issue, or it may mean that I'm just getting caught up in a stupid controversy, but either way, I need to step back, get right with Jesus, and then come back, right? But these are some questions we need to ask before we engage on an issue. And and the scripture is not saying that we should not engage, because here in just a moment, we're going to read that he says that we need to teach. We need to, there are times when we need to confront. There are times when we need to engage. But what it is saying is that a house is built on wisdom, not our opinions. So the question is, how are we building our house? All right, that's number one. Number two, if you are going to engage, your tone matters. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Let's keep going. The servant of the Lord, and this is actually talking about the minister or Pastor Timothy, we could say, but it also applies to all of us. The servant of the Lord must not participate in quarrels, but must be kind to everyone, even tempered. Come on. Does anybody else need this besides me, right? Even tempered, preserving peace. And he must be skilled in teaching, patient and tolerant when wrong. So in other words, when somebody wrongs you, you know, we're not just lashing right back out, right? He must correct those who are in opposition with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant that they will repent and be led to the knowledge of the truth, accurately understanding and welcoming it. See, our, he, he's saying our tone matters because our end goal is that our hope is not just to win the argument, but our hope is that, that this person is well, feels welcomed and that they, they want to invite us into their life. They want to invite truth into their life. So there's a certain skillful way that you can do that, and then there are ways that we can just tear down a house, Right? Because what tends to happen is whenever we're in some sort of issue with people, what tends to happen is whatever level they are at, if they up it a little bit, how many of you guys know we tend to match their level, right? If they up their enthusiasm, up their anger, up their, we match it. Or maybe one up it, right? And, and we'll just keep going. It's kind of like pranks. How many of you guys love doing a good prank on somebody? Anybody? Okay, the old youth pastor in me is still. So what I found out when I was, I was young and, and just a lot younger, what I found out is that uh, if somebody would prank me, you know, there's, there's a couple ways to, to end pranks, by the way, and I didn't share this last night, but I'll just share this with you guys, those of you guys who uh, are, are into this thing. There's two ways to stop somebody from pranking you. Okay, if somebody wants to do that, number one, the first way to stop somebody if they prank you is to just act like it never happened. And eventually they're gonna forget about it and it'll, dis- it'll disappear. So if somebody pranks you, just act like it never happened. The second way to stop people from pranking you is to get them back so bad that they never ever wanna prank you again. <laughs> that was my mode of operation. So when somebody would prank me, I would take it like, Four steps, but I came, I came up with elaborate pranks. And I, to the point where I thought, if I carry these out, I might end up in jail. And you think I'm kidding. <laughs> I 
started to realize, oh my gosh, this is an area of my life that I gotta get under control because it was too much fun. And there are people on our, our ministry team, actually, that we have kind of an unspoken rule right now that we will not prank each other because we, we know that if we start the prank war, that it will not end well. And, and we, will, we just don't know where it's going to go. So we've just decided to never prank one another, right? But see, what happens in our engagement with one another, that's kind of what happens. If somebody does something to you, we tend to match their level or to one-up it. And that's why our tone matters. That's why he's saying, no, it's about gentleness. It's about your tone. You know, the, the way that we talk to one another matters. Let me give you a radical experiment. Don't do this, but do it. It would be funny if you did, and it would maybe be helpful to somebody. The next time you get into a disagreement with your spouse, record it. Just, so, somebody's getting a name, somebody's getting a witness over here. <laughs> Record it. And then if you play it back, how many guys know a lot of us might be surprised at the actual tone that we talk to one another? Don't do that, but please do that. You do it, not me. I'm not going to do it, but you do it. Right? The, the point is this. Our tone does communicate something. It matters. And all of it, I mean, I feel convicted by that. But it does matter. It does communicate things. So, again, let me go back to one of our closest relationships that we have. Uh, our closest relationship on the planet is with our spouse. And so I'm going to bring in Jimmy Evans uh, to help understand a little bit about our tone. So let's take a look. The mega need of women is security. Women need uh, affection. They need communication, open and honest communication. They need leadership for their husband to be the initiator of the well-being of the home. So we have differing needs, but those are the needs of a man. Man, woman, the number one need of a woman is security. To know that she's going to be sacrificially loved and cared for by a man that to his hurt will take care of her. And that he's tuned in. That's what romance means to a woman. You're tuned in. You're, you're thinking about me when you don't have to, and I'm on your heart. Okay. So when a man is connecting, or when a man is communicating to his wife, his tone will communicate to her security or insecurity. So you're talking. I'm having a conversation with Karen, and Karen says something to me. And my response to her now, early in our marriage, I was, I was horrible. And so here, when I'm talking to Karen, if it's going to be a successful conversation, it doesn't matter what the subject is. My response to Karen has to say this, you come first. Anything else is out the window if, if you need me first. I don't mind doing anything you need me to do. You come first. Whatever I have to sacrifice, whatever I have to say no to, I'm going to say no to it because I love you more than all those things. So my tone, in other words, it's, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is sure, I'd be happy to go to the store. I don't mind. At all. Yeah, I'll, tell the, I'll tell them no. I won't play golf today. I'll, I'll go to the store for you. No, I don't mind. I'm lying. Jesus, forgive me, but I'm going to go to the store. And <laughs> I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to take one for the team, but I'm going to cash it in later. And <laughs> so, but if in my response to her, she hears this, really? Really? I mean, I've got so many other things to do. You're really going to ask me to do that for you? Insecurity. 
you, you, I'm a bother to you. I'm a burden to you. I'm not first in your life. You're, listen, you're taking the most important need in her life and jabbing your finger in it with every word you say. Tone is encrypted. So listen to what I'm saying. If you're going to communicate to any woman, this isn't just your wife, any woman, you have to understand her number one greatest sensitivity is to feel secure that you, that she is on your heart and that you will sacrificially take care of her. So the tone in your voice, if it's put out, if it's short-tempered, if it's anything like that, your tone, you're, you're done. You're, you'll not communicate successfully. Well, let me go to women for just a minute. So you're talking to your husband or any man, including your sons, okay? And you're, you're talking to your husband. Here's in everything you're saying, regardless of what the, the conversation is about, you're responding to your husband, and here's what you, he needs to hear you say. I believe in you. You're a good man. You're a good man. I admire you and I respect you. Okay. That is oxygen in his world. That, that makes him feel energized. It is his greatest sensitivity. Men are created by God. Our greatest sensitivity is in the area of our ego. And it's not egotism. It can become egotism. It's just our greatest need. So when women are communicating to their husband, they have to encrypt every word they're saying with, even if you're frustrated, and you say, honey, you know, I, I love you so much. I, I want to say this. I believe in you. You're a great man. You know, this and it. Why'd you leave Billy at the park? You know, you should have brought him home. You know, he's a, you know, so, you know you're, you're such an awesome person. Why would you forget your kids? That's not, that's not like the awesome person that you're seeing. You know, so rather than saying, you idiot. And so, so listen, Proverbs 18 says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. You cannot imagine the damage you can do with one little word. Yeah, so our tone does matter. All right, number three, if we're going to walk wise in a world full of opinions around opinionated people, we better be sure that we have the right voices coming into our life, right? I mean, we better make sure that we have wisdom coming into our life if we're going to walk wise. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, let's read it again. He must correct those who are in opposition with courtesy and gentleness and the hope that God may grant that they will repent and be led to the knowledge of the truth. So we want truth coming into our life. If we're going to correct, if we feel like we're going to be uh, interacting with other people, we've got to have an accurate understanding and welcome truth in our life. Let me say it this way. There's a difference between counsel and opinions. You know, we talk a lot about getting wise counsel. You got a big decision to make. You got, you know, life thing, you know, get wise counsel. Let me just tell you from many, many years of pastoral experience what some people do, and let me just say a lot of people do. Some of you find, quote unquote, wise counselors to just reaffirm what you're already thinking. We surround ourselves with a crew of people who are just going to give us a nod to what we already want to do. And we call it, well, I checked with my wise counselors. And we end up just surrounding us, ourselves with people who are just going to give us a yes. You know, that's why I say, you know, you, you know if you want to just, you know, I, I just say it this way. Find a study or f figure out how you want to live and find a study to match. Because there's studies out there to reaffirm however you want to live, right? There's some study I read a long time ago that says eating chocolate cake every morning for breakfast is good for your health. I don't understand that. But somebody found it and says, you want to eat chocolate cake every morning? You know, figure out how you want to live. 
That's how some of us do it, though. We just figure out how we want to live, and then we surround ourselves with people to match it. And then we call it wise counselor. That's not, that's not how it works. So let me tell you, there's some people you got to have in your life and people you don't. Let me tell you some people I don't have in my life. I learn from people, but I don't always have everybody speaking in my life. I don't have people speaking in my life who are just going to tell me what I want to hear all the time. I don't let people speak in my life who are just critics all the time. I don't let armchair quarterbacks just speak in my life all the time. I let some people who have skin in the game who love me. You know, the people who love me are going to tell me stuff I don't want to hear sometimes. I I let people who have a proven track record of following Jesus. That I know that they made some hard decisions over their life. That I know that they made some hard decisions following Jesus. I know that I know they have a proven track record of hearing from God and following Jesus. I let those people speak into my life. And I've taught on this before, but there, there are a couple different people you need to have in your life. Number one, I call them trailblazers. These are people who've gone before you, who've maybe gone further than you in the faith. Maybe people who have gone where you want to go in your calling, your gifting, your occupation, your business, your, your ministry, whatever it is. These are trailblazers. They are people who've gone down the road before you and they're speaking from the future, from your future, back into your present. You need to have some people in your life like that. But there's a lot of people who stop there and they say, well, I can only have trailblazers in my life. If you, and let me just tell you, I've, I've heard this a lot. A lot of people end up rejecting the second category, which I call truth carriers, Common mistake people make is that if you have not been through what I've been through, you have no power to speak into my life. If you haven't experienced my pain, then you don't know how to speak into my life. If you haven't experienced my loss, then you have no ability to speak in my life. If you haven't been in my situation, then you have no ability to speak into my life. I'm telling you, I've seen this over and over and over again. If you're not a part of my tribe, if you don't get what I get, if you aren't in my thing, then you don't understand and you cannot speak into my life. Can I just tell you, That is a completely false, anti-biblical way to live. And yet many people have adopted that. And I say many people, and I say many in the church, because I've pastored them. That is not the way that the Bible teaches us to live. And and for those of you guys who want to know, I mean, this is the dangerous perspective because you know, trailblazers may have been where you're going, but there are certain truth carriers that may have not been where you were going, but they have a transferable wisdom. And if you want me just to shatter that perspective, you know, of like, well, if you haven't experienced my pain, if you haven't experienced my loss, let me just shatter it for you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter five. I keep hitting on marriage, but let's go to Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is one of the most famous places about marriage in all of scripture. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so he might present the church to himself without, with splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Have you guys heard that before on marriage, right? We talk about it at weddings. I preach this at almost every wedding, right? One problem. Paul wrote that. If you don't understand why that's a problem, Paul was never married How can a guy who was never married write one of the most iconic places in all of Scripture about how to be married? It's because certain people have transferable wisdom. They don't have to be in your shoes to be able to speak truth into your life. 
And, and if we live that life like, well, I'm not going to listen to anybody outside of my tribe, anybody outside of the people who get me. If we live that way, what we're doing is we're living in an anti-biblical way. Paul wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. And, and if we say, well, they can't speak into my life because they don't know what I'm going through. We better have some people in our life who we may, not, we may not understand where they're coming from because they have a different experience. And in fact, it's that very fact that they have a different experience that brings truth and wisdom into your life. It's the very fact that they have a different perspective, that they speak something in your life that you didn't see coming. They speak something in your life that you didn't expect. And that's, that's, that, that's what Scripture teaches us. So the Bible says if you want to be wise, what do you got to do? You got to walk with wise people, right? So guess what? If you want to be a fool, what are you going to do? You're going to walk with fools. Don't think it's not going to affect you, even as adults. See, we, we teach this to our kids, right? But come on, adults, this is just as applicable to us. You run around with fools, you're going to pick up foolish ways. You surround yourself with fools, you're going to start making foolish decisions. All right, number four. If, if you have an opinionated person in your life, disagreement doesn't have to mean division. You might disagree, but you don't have to be divided. Now, you can't control what everybody else does. You can't make everybody like you. Again, let me give you just one more Joe McGee clip. It's really short. Let's watch. I have Christians all the time. Well, if God's so good, why do people not like me? Because there's idiots on this planet. <laughs> there's people demon possessed. You're not, everybody's not going to like you. Not everybody like Jesus. You ever read the Bible? Not every, God bless you. If you, people don't like you, just say, God bless you. Go with God. Don't get in some yelling, cussing match with them. You know, blank, you blank, blank. No, God bless you. Bless you, little heart. God bless you. <laughs> God bless you. Woo. Give them to God. So anyhow, Jesus had enemies. He had critics. And I tell people all the time, you're going to have people that will never like you. You can't make them like you. Now, I've had relatives. I'm going to make them like me. You can't do that. Love those that let you love them. Be nice to those that let you be nice. If they won't, kick the dirt off. Go love on somebody else. Quit wearing yourself out trying to make somebody like you. So you're going to have disagreements. But, you, you know, the Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace. They're going to do whatever they want to do. But you don't have to be a person that causes division even though you disagree. You can disagree and not be divisive or you can disagree with somebody to the point of causing division. And we have the choice what we're going to do. This may shock some of you guys, but you realize that you can still love someone with whom you disagree. I think we need to be reminded of that today, don't we? There's a lot of people who are disagreeing right now. Do you realize we can still love each other even when we don't agree? That's the way of Jesus, because our goal isn't to win an argument, but to win a person. Which leads us up to the last thing. This is the last thing, and then we'll be done. To do this, we may have to check our heart. We may have to look honestly in the mirror. And here's the big, here's the big problem. We most of the time assume that our thoughts are the correct ones. What if we are the ones with opinions and not wisdom? Well, no, I, I know it's wisdom because I read my Bible and I have got this certain verse and yeah, and someone else on the other side might say a similar thing. So, so what do you do in that? Well, I think it, what, what it ought to cause us to do is to walk a little more humbly, give a little more grace, to walk a little bit more 
with gentleness towards one another. Because what happens is when we assume that everything that we're thinking is right, it turns into self-righteousness. There's, there's, you know, this is the problem in Scripture, the self-righteousness. And I've said this before. Have you ever thought about this? What does it feel like to be wrong? Like, have you ever gone back, like, those moments when you, you were wrong, but you, did, you just didn't know it yet? Like, you didn't know. You later found out you were wrong, but just go back to that moment on that, right, before you found out that you were wrong. What does it feel like to be wrong? I'll tell you what it feels like. It feels like being right. Some of us right now may be totally wrong, but I can tell you what being wrong feels like. It feels like being right until you find out it was wrong. The, the point is, again, it's not that we're not supposed to stand on truth. We are. There are certain things that are established. But what I'm saying is that sometimes we need to really look in the mirror and say, you know what, even though I believe I'm 100% right, I'm going to walk just with some more humility towards other people. I'm going to walk with some more humility. Because many times when you look at someone else and what makes you mad and what makes you upset about them is really a reflection of what happens in you at times, right? That's kind of what happens from time to time. And so I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we get ready to close. And, and I'm going to read this last scripture. And, and it's really a prayer. And this is really where I want us all to be today. And, and if you're not there, you're not there. But this is where I'm going to invite you to come to. Okay? It's this, this prayer that we're going to say here at the end. And it's actually a scripture. Here it is. Psalms chapter 139, verse 23 and 24. And this is one of the most gutsy prayers you can ever pray, okay? I believe, and I've said this for a long time, this is one of the most gutsy prayers you can ever pray. You ready? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is one of the most gutsy prayers you can ever pray. Why do I say it's one of the most gutsy prayers you can ever pray? The reason I say it's one of the most gutsy prayers you can ever pray is because God doesn't need to search you. God already knows it all. He already knows the grievous ways. He already knows. He doesn't have to try you. He doesn't have to know your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. He knows it all. This isn't a prayer to, to get God to do something he doesn't already know. This is an invitation for God to do something in you and to change you, because God already knows. See, this isn't a, hey God, uh, come inspect me and see if you find anything prayer. This is a, God, search me. And, and by very nature of what we're inviting God to do, we're saying, God, when you reveal something to me, I'm going to repent and change. That's a gutsy prayer. It's a gutsy prayer because you don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> or maybe you do. Maybe we already know what it is. And maybe some of us today just need to say, God, let's do this. It's about time. God, do some surgery on me. I, I need it, guys. I, I mean, the last couple years, I believe God's been doing a very deep work in me. But it's not without pain. It's not perfect either. I still go back time to time. But I am encouraged in this that I'm not where I used to be. 
And I believe it's because of these type of things. When I say, God, search me. If you reveal it, I'm going to do my best to yield to it. So would you stand up with me? And I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying that everybody's going to do this. But if you're ready to, I'm going to read this one more time as a prayer. And if it's you, would you invite the Holy Spirit? Invite God to come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? And just, those of you guys who want to participate, it's not, it's not everybody. I'm going to read this, and you can just kind of agree in your heart, or you can say it along with, or just pray your own prayer. But I'm going to pray this as a prayer for all of us. And this is an invitation for us to repent. God, would you search us? Would you search us, search our hearts? Is there anything in us, God, that needs to be uprooted? Is there anything that's just been our opinions? Is there any anger or frustration or divisiveness or way of thinking that you find in there that needs to go? Would you search us today? Try me and know my thoughts. Not just, not just my actions or words, but God, could you go deeper and even my thought life, those thoughts that I've been having. Lord, I want to have clean thoughts. I want to have innocent thoughts towards people. I want to have loving thoughts towards people. I want to have pure thoughts. I want to have kingdom thoughts. Lord, you see, if there be any grievous way, I, I celebrate how far you've brought me, but God, I, I know that you love me too much to leave me where I am, and so if there's anything there's any way that doesn't line up with your word or doesn't line up with wisdom, would you reveal that to us? And lead us in the right ways. Lead us into things that are eternal, into everlasting things. Lord, our hope is that that we would be set free from the snare of the devil. As, as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26 said, that, that if we're walking in a way that's not true, it's a trap of the devil. And, and Lord, that our heart would be for those who maybe right now we feel are in opposition to us. Our heart for them is that they would be set free, not so we could be right, but so they could be free. Lord, help our heart be set right. Help our heart be set right. In Jesus' name. You know, maybe, maybe just walking in wisdom means more walking in humility, right? You want to you do that? Let me give you just a little exercise if you want to do that this week. You know, we, all that stuff we read in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you know, the, those who are lovers of selves and lovers of money and scoffers at God and, and uh, boastful and proud and quarrelsome, you know, all that, that whole list? That's your new prayer list. It's not your new hit list of like, everybody, I got to sit right. That's your prayer list. I promise you, if you start praying for people that you think are fitting into that category, your heart will start to change. And it doesn't mean they're right. It, it doesn't mean that. It just means that your heart towards them starts to change, which means that your tone is going to probably change, which means that your hope for them is probably going to change. And whether they ever change or not, you can walk free and clean before God, right? And that's our hope. So let's worship him one more time, and let's let the Lord work on our heart.